All right. I look forward to tonight. Here recently, we've had our grand opportunity to study about many terrible kings. And tonight is a different story. And so, uh, with that, we look forward to studying about Hezekiah. Before we begin, I'm thankful that each one of you is here. As I look out, we don't have as many visitors as we did have this morning, but we are glad for each one that is here. Tonight we will be looking at Hezekiah, we will be looking at the background of his life, we'll see a little bit of uh, what transpired during his lifetime, and when you talk about kings, there were very few that were mentioned after the division of the kingdom, after, after we have Saul, David, and Solomon, the kingdom is divided, there are going to be very few that were ever recorded as good. However, we do find Hezekiah, and it's going to be mentioned that he followed in the way of David, who had a special relationship with the Lord. So tonight we will be looking at Hezekiah, and we're going to have to jump around a little bit. There are, um, there are accounts found in 2 Chronicles. There's an account found in 2 Kings, also in uh, Isaiah. And we're not going to look at all of them, but we'll look, look at bits and pieces of each one and we will uh, hopefully come to a better understanding of Hezekiah. First off, as we begin, Hezekiah, we'll get a little background, was the son of Ahaz. Now he assumes the role of king upon his father's death. If you look there in 2 Kings chapter 16, we'll see that the passing of his father takes place, and that will put Hezekiah on the throne. He will be taking over. And as you can guess, uh, Ahaz wasn't quite as good as his son Hezekiah, by no, by no means. In 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 20, it says, So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. You can see the same same passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 27, where we see this transpire and take place. Now, Hezekiah, according to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 2, begins his reign at the age of 25 years old. You can go over to 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 2, and it says, Now he was 25 years old when he became king, and it, notice it says, And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was a bee or a by, and if you compare that with uh, Second Chronicles, we'll recognize that uh, from Second Chronicles it's a, a Bijah. Uh, so for some reason it was shortened, whether or not it was how they were writing it or the one, maybe it was a, a shortened name that they use. I know we do that from time to time, um, even with our own. I know Quattro, for example, uh, is not Herbert the Fourth, although he is Herbert the Fourth. Yet everybody calls him Quattro. So uh, we were talking about Herbert the Second earlier that we mentioned praying for during our announcements with back troubles, and so it is not that uncommon for us in our society to use a shortened name in making reference to the same person, right, Joe? We've got Jordan Green, who we all call Joe. All right. So in 2 Kings, we see Hezekiah begins his reign at the age of 25 years old. Uh, his mother, Abijah, in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 2, 
was the daughter of Zechariah. Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning, Hezekiah was known for doing right. And if we're able to leave a legacy, you know, I remember uh, just yesterday we were standing up here and we uh, celebrated the life of Miss Olita. Well, as you talk about a funeral service, as you talk about a celebration of life, it's oftentimes been remarked that that dash in the middle is what's important. When it comes to the dash in the middle, Hezekiah has a great story. He has a great life that was lived, and because of that, he's recorded as being known for having done right. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 3, I think it's very special that they recognize his relationship to David. As you talk about David, David was known throughout history as the one the Lord loved, as, as, as God's own. He was a very special person because he had a special heart. As we look at Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a king that was known for having a heart as of that of David's. Notice in verse 3 it says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Understanding, yes, his immediate dad was Ahaz, but uh, there is someone far greater, just as you might mention who your immediate father is, but ultimately we're all thankful for our father who is in heaven, or it could be that you're also thankful for your grandparents and great-grandparents that have come before. So Hezekiah is known for following the example of David, and with that there should be great great joy. Hezekiah is noted as a contemporary. If you go into Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1, Micah chapter 1 and verse 1, this time period is the time that we're talking about and it's mentioned right then each time that its writing took place when Hezekiah was king. So that gives us a, uh, a little barometer there for when each thing is taking place. So we see a little background we see a little bit of the past or what's going, going on behind the scenes to bring Hezekiah into kingship. And now let's begin with the kingdom. Point number one, correcting the kingdom. Hezekiah comes onto the scene. I mentioned that he was, he was a hair better, a shade better than his father Ahaz. We're going to notice some of the things that had transpired under his rule. Second Chronicles. Chapter 29, things make a quick path away from all the sweet things we've been recognizing. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to drop down to verse 3. It says, in the first year of his reign, so Hezekiah is taking over, in the first month, it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. Notice he says, then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. We see things are falling apart. It's going down the drain. No care has been shown to it. There's no love. There's no concern. 
When he comes onto the scene, the doors are shut. You know, you think of a, I think of a house that goes into foreclosure. Somebody goes by and they take boards up and they put them over the windows. They take boards over the doors and they put screws so that no one can get in. Such as to say that this house is in disrepair. When Hezekiah comes on the scene as king, that's how the house of the Lord stands. Forgotten. Not important. It's nothing special to these people because they've moved on. And so Hezekiah comes in and he begins by sanctifying them. You notice in verse 5 and he said, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Why? Because the Levites were a special people. Chosen by God to serve in such a capacity. So Hezekiah begins to clean or to cleanse the house of the Lord. In verse 6 it says, For our fathers have trespassed. They've done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken Him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on Him. You know, I think it's interesting. It wasn't that long ago we looked at Esther. And it wasn't about her upbringing. It wasn't about her past. But rather she said, despite what you might think about me, I'm going to choose what's best. I'm going to do what's best. Even though Hezekiah was a son to Ahaz and he talks about these fathers that had lived before him and they've forgotten God and they could care less about putting God first. We see Hezekiah immediately comes on the scene back in verse 3 in the first year of his reign. He says, we've got to get it right. Hezekiah says, we need to cleanse the temple. Well, how could he do such a thing? How could he come in and cleanse the temple? Think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 21 where it says, Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Well, how could he test it? How could he know that the Levites were a sanctified people for the Lord, that were there for a special purpose? Because he could go back to the law. And he could study from the law and he could see God's design for the Lord's house. He could see the design for sacrifice. He could see the design for people that were supposed to serve. As we bring it around to New Testament time period, understand that the same thing holds true today. Test all things. Get in your New Testament. Open it up. Study from it. He says, test all things there or prove them. You talk about a sharp knife. How do you know it's a sharp knife? Do you just stand around and brag about it? No, you got to cut something. When you take this, the piece of paper and you cut it in half, you say, now that's a sharp knife. You shave the, arm on, the, the hair on your, your arm, they say, well, that's a sharp knife. He says, test, prove, show that it is something special. When we talk about today, it can so happen that our fathers forget God's design for the house of the Lord. Now, when I'm talking about the house of the Lord today, I mean the church. I'm not talking about the building. When it comes to the church, how can we test all things? We go to the New Testament scriptures and we hold fast 
to that which is good. What's good? God's Word. You know, Matthew chapter 7, as you go through that, that account, chapter, 12, 20, chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, we sing about it in Pew Packers, the wise man builds his house upon, Jude might even know, the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the reality is, if you build it on God, it's going to stand. Prove all things, let the flood come in and see if the house stands up. John chapter 17, verse 17 gives us a very plain passage for that. Sanctify them through thy truth, he says. What do we test it again against? How do we, how do we know? How do we know when we compare it? There's got to be some set standard. He says, Thy word is truth. All right. Hezekiah, he cleansed the temple. If we're to be cleansing of what we ought to be, We've got to look at the book. Hezekiah not only cleansed the temple, but he recognized why God's people were struggling. He says, you got problems in life? I know why we got problems. You think America's going down the drain? I know why we're going down the drain. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 29. He says, they have also shut the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. They've forgotten or at least they ignored. Therefore, verse 8, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. Notice verse 9, for indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Now, I'm not saying life might not be tough, but I am saying if we make that covenant with God, wherein we say, I'm going to put Jesus first. If we make that covenant, we have a promise of life eternal. And in that, we recognize great hope. Not only did Hezekiah recognize why they were struggling, but then he said, guys, we've got to make a change we see what's been done over and over isn't working. I believe when they talk about insanity, doing the same thing over and over and what? Expecting different results. Hezekiah comes on the scene. He says, don't be calling me insane. We're not doing what you've been doing because I promise you it doesn't work. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, go down to verse 20. King Hezekiah rose early. He gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord, just as God had expected it to be, just as God had left the pattern. Verse 22, so they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly and they laid their hands on them and the priests killed them and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. Why? Because they hadn't been doing it. 
and it was time to get caught up. Hezekiah made a covenant with the Lord. You know, as we think about baptism today, we make a covenant with the Lord. When we say, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I want to put this man to death and I want to be buried in the water and I want to rise anew and I want to live for him. That's a covenant. You say, my goal for me to live is Christ. Swapping life for life. Christ gave his life for you and it's time for us to give our life for him. Hezekiah restores the practice of sacrifice. And then notice he restores the keeping of the Passover. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Sorry. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Now we're in the right place. Beginning in verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord of God, to the Lord God of Israel. I'm sorry. Verse 2, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. Notice, for they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, I do think it's interesting that he's still going to be viewed as right because he was giving his honest and sincere best. He says, wait, weren't we uh, supposed to do it before? But they didn't have the priest and you go back and it says that he had told them, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to cleanse yourselves. They had to, uh, they had to go ahead and, and follow with the sanctification process as is outlined in the law. And so in verse 4 it says, And the matter pleased the king and the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 5. Throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it, listen, for a long time in the prescribed manner. He said, we've missed out. He said, we're way behind and we might have missed it. But we're going to go ahead and we're going, to, we're going to remember. And then from this time forward, they're going to go back and they're going to do it right when God said, just as God said, in trying to keep the Passover as was laid out. So Hezekiah now, he's rest restored by cleansing the temple. He's restored the practice of sacrifice. He's restored the practice of observing the Passover. And now he, uh, he sends a request. He sends a request through the land because it's not just him. Hezekiah says, this isn't just about me, but rather we're all in this together. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. At the end of the verse, he says, children of Israel... Return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. You know, they've had some trouble. You live an ungodly way, trouble's going to come. They had trouble. 
Notice in verse 7 it says, And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of uh, against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Verse 8, Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God. Listen, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn from you. Wasn't that long ago we studied about Jonah. Jonah goes and he doesn't want those Ninevites to, to be forgiven because he knows God's a merciful God. And here, way back when, Hezekiah says, guys, if we get our lives right, that merciful God will bring us back into his fold. He said that his wrath may turn away from you. He knew why they were struggling. Go down to verse 9. For if you return to the Lord... Your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so that they may come back to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The God in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Kings, the God in Isaiah and the God today are the same God. When you get caught up at a point in life where you recognize sin is king again. It's taken over. It's taken hold. It's got its reins on you. Recognize what Hezekiah recognized. If you'll come back to God, he is there with open arms waiting. He is gracious and he is merciful. If you'll return to Him, God is there for you. That's your New Testament understanding. Hezekiah sends this request of repentance through the land. He said, I want all of you to be involved. If you look at Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8 we see this same thought of coming back to God. Verse 20. Peter said to him, this is the sorcerer, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Notice what he says. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. He said, come back to God. What a beautiful thought. Not only do we see that he requires repentance in the land, but then he goes ahead and he says it's time to clean up shop. It's time to do away with all this mess that's been taking place. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 31. You can look at 2 Kings 18 later. It's very, very similar. Second Chronicles chapter 31, it says, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, and it says, and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel turned to their own cities 
every man to his own possession. I want you to go ahead and look at 2 Kings, actually. In 2 Kings chapter 18, there's one specific piece that is mentioned that is torn down. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4. It says in verse 4, And he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars. Sounds very similar. Cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces. Listen. The bronze serpent that Moses had made. That was a pretty special thing. It was absolutely something that was memorable and important to them. But notice, he says, For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nuheshton. What's that mean? That means they made something God that isn't God. Did God have a purpose in the serpent? Absolutely. But that doesn't make it your God. Do we hold the cross in grave respect, understanding there is nothing that's going to signify the death that Christ suffered, possibly as it did? Absolutely. But let me tell you this. That doesn't give a right to bow down to the cross and thank the cross for what it did for you. Christ gave a plan that on the first day of the week we come together and we observe, we remember his death. The cross cannot be our idol, nor can any other thing. The church building can't be our idol, nor can any other thing. In Hezekiah's day, he recognized that this bronze serpent, that Moses, we're getting back in time, guys, this is old. This is an artifact. This is special. You talk about your great, 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 great grandmother, grandfather left you something. We're talking about a lot of greats back. He says, Moses put up this serpent. It's old. This is special to the children of Israel. And he comes in and he says, get rid of it. Why? Because you're trying to make it into God. Serve God the way God requests it. And no other way. Hezekiah recognized that that bronze serpent was nothing. That these high places that people had lifted up were nothing. That all these idols that they had worshipped were nothing. And they were bringing them down. All right. Now it's going to be used against him in just a, just a short, short little span. In 2 Kings chapter 18, one of the great things that you'll see Hezekiah did is he smites the Philistines. He drives them way back. He says, get out of here. Why? That was God's design. Go back. God said, get those people out of here. Don't keep them around. They're going to, they're going to destroy the people of God. All right, let's go on. We've got the correcting of the kingdom. Hezekiah comes on the scene. He says, it's time to get stuff right. Then we've got issues with the king of Syria. I'm still in 2 Kings. I don't know about you. So let's just look at it in 2 Kings. And if you would like, go ahead and pull it up later and look in Isaiah. Uh, Sennacherib. He's going to come in, boastful fella. He really thinks he's something special. You know, he's won a lot of battles. A lot of things are going his way. You get down into verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 18. Beginning in verse 19, it says, Then the Rabshakeh said to him, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, 
What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and powers for war, but they're mere words. And in whom do you trust that you would rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed? Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it? So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But you say to me, we trust in the Lord God. Listen. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? He said, your gods are gone. And said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Notice verse 23. And therefore I urge you, give a pledge to me, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. He says, Hezekiah just took down all your gods. And you think you can trust in your God? We're coming for you. Sennacherib tries to cast doubt in the people. Well, this kind of goes back and forth as you go down through, but we're going to skip ahead. Sennacherib tries to cast doubt in the people. He's like, man, this is crazy. Why would you, why would you be followers of Hezekiah? He's a terrible king. That's initially or basically what he's saying. Verse 29, thus says the king. This is the king of Assyria and Sennacherib speaking. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present. And come out to me, and every one of you eat from it, will eat from his own vine, every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the water of his own cistern. He says, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that he may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver you. They said, don't follow after Hezekiah. Listen to me. I'll give you all the goods. Make me your president and I'll give you everything you ever asked for. That's what he says. He says, what you want? He said, I'll give it to you. Hezekiah is telling you to trust in God. How foolish. Oh my, does foolish come around. Sennacherib tries to cast out in the, in the minds of the people. Reminds me of Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 where Satan says, You shall surely not die. He says, you won't die. You go back to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Satan says, command these stones be made into bread. Jesus replies with the, with the word of God and says... Man shall not live by bread alone. All right, let's go on. We don't have time. Prayer, Hezekiah. Hezekiah isn't going to give it a rest. Look down at chapter 19, verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the works of men's hands. Wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray... Save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may, may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. We've seen many that have prayed a virtuous prayer as we've looked at different characters and no doubt Hezekiah, another one. Sennacherib, we'll see, is defeated 
by the Lord. You go down to 2 Kings chapter 19, 35 through 37. Notice especially in verse 35 it says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians, listen, 185,000. You get down into verse 37 and his sons go in after, after uh, Sennacherib's gone home, went home scared because he had 185,000 all of a sudden show up dead. He goes home and, well, boom. His sons say, it's enough of you. All right. You better have God on your side. Hezekiah's death. Hezekiah's death. I want to look at that real quick, and I know we don't have time, but we're going to make time. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. In those days Hezekiah was sick, he was near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Hezekiah remembers the power of prayer. And he goes to God in prayer and he says, God, you know that I made a covenant with you and that my heart has always been to follow you. Verse 3, he says, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And he weeps bitterly. He says, God, don't forget. I'm putting you first. Well, things change quickly. You drop down into verse 4 through 6. The word of the Lord comes back to Isaiah. Isaiah goes back to, goes back to Hezekiah. And he says, it's your lucky day. He said, how about 15 more years? Never mind. He said, you've got 15 more years. Hezekiah had put God first. And God continued to bless him. There's a special sign that takes place as you have the dial that turns back 10 degrees. Talk about the sundial. Well, how's that work? How's God do that? Well, God's God, and God can do whatever He wants. He gives Hezekiah a sign. Finally, you get down to 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 20 through 21. We see the rest of the Acts, all of His might, and all, how He had made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. And that's really where everything falls apart. Get down to verse 21 and it says, Then Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Hezekiah was a great leader. Those that were before him, not so much. Those that come after him, not so much. But he was compared to that of King David. A man after God's own heart. I pray that when I get to the end of my life, as you talk about my dash, I pray that you can say... He was a man after God's own heart. But the facts are it comes down to right now. It comes down to you. What's your dash going to say? Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Matters what you're willing to do. Are you willing to give it to God tonight? If you haven't given your life to Christ, it's very simple. Understanding that Jesus paved the way he gave his life. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And he showed that he was victorious over death when he rose again. You can do everything you want to try and hold the Savior down. Put guards at the door. Put a big stone. Doesn't matter. Because he's victorious over death. Hezekiah was known as a faithful person. Because he chose to make a covenant, a promise with God that I will follow you. 
My prayer is today that you're willing to make a covenant with God. I'm going to follow you. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I want to tell everybody. I want to be buried in the water and I want to rise to walk in a different way. If you haven't given your life to Christ, make a change right now. So we stand and sing.